but uh, yeah, so no, no good stories, no marathon training, no nothing, just old. So please bear with my aging here even now. I don't know what we're doing here. So why you guys give me the long, hard passages on Family Sunday, but it's going to be a doozy today. Um, one other thing is this hoodie. I'm going to wear this all month. You know why? Because we're raising money for Scotland, because we're sending a team of seven people to come alongside this church and this pastor that feels called to bring the gospel to every man, woman, and child in this uh, scheme. We call it a project, low-income, uh, highly marginalized community with a number of social issues. The primary issue is no gospel access, okay? So we're sending a team of seven this summer to come alongside this church. Listen, 50 bucks, you get a hoodie. You say, the hoodie's not worth 50 bucks. I know. That's the point, right? Because we're raising money for Scotland, all right? So just give the 50 bucks or give the 50 bucks and get a hoodie. That's really how it's working, right? So somebody gave all the money for this. So the the hoodies are already paid for. So every time you buy a hoodie, you're giving 50 bucks to the team. It's like every team member gets seven bucks, seven bucks, seven bucks. Our goal is to sell 50. I think we've sold zero so far. So we got a lot of improvement to do over the next 30 days. Amen? I'm excited to see everybody in this place wearing a Scotland hoodie with me by the end of the month. Can we do that? Or just give 50 bucks, right? It's win is a win. Awesome. Guys, we're excited to dive into the scriptures today. You know, April 1989, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Billy Graham was here. He preached, and I listened, and I responded to the gospel, April uh, 1989. So I became a Christian. My mother was there with me, um, understood that Jesus came and lived and died for my sins, embraced him by faith, and then... I began to learn how I was supposed to live as a Christian, right? This gospel that had saved me now was going to radically change my life. You know what I'm talking about, right? Began to find out what was the appropriate response to God's mercy to save me. And here's what I found out. First of all, I was not to listen to secular music. So my run DMC tape... Trash. Second of all, no rated R movies and no naughty TV shows. So the Simpsons, were they out yet? Okay, yeah. I got to be careful about my illustrations here. And I had to quit sports because they made me miss youth group. So no more hoops. These are progression over years. And then I was told I had to read a particular version of the Bible because the King James only was the only inspired version. So my NIV was literally non-inspired version. Get it? NIV, get it? That was a bad Christian joke, wasn't it? You liked it, though. That was the thing. You liked it, right? And then in college, uh, 
especially the Christian school I went to was a United Methodist, I'm sorry, Free Methodist school, not meaning to throw them under the bus, but I was told by them that I can't dance or play cards. So the Texas Hold'em craze, I couldn't enjoy it. Betting money or pretzels or not, I was out. I was told that, it, that if I was really a Christian, there would be a certain way that I would express myself in worship. I'd raise my hands, I'd clap, I'd dance, I'd be loud. At the very least, I'd give the classic Central New York nod. Mmm. 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 Right? That's more recent. See, I'm dating myself, but that's more recent. And I was also told that I can't drink alcohol because it's a sin to do so. And I was told for sure, especially as every four years came around, that I was only allowed to vote for one particular political party if I was really a Christian. Right? The Christian life, for me, was reduced often by others to, to those kinds of things. And many people disputed these things in, in areas of living, and, and many people even divided over them. Whole traditions are formed around these ethical expectations. We all embrace Jesus, but when we talk about ethically how we're supposed to respond, man, there's a lot of dispute, there's a lot of disagreement, there's a lot of division about what exactly it means to be a Christian now. And we fought about it at lunch at Faith Heritage. I mean, everybody was throwing food at each other, even in high school. Whole traditions were built around this, right? All Christians embrace the gospel. They share Jesus Christ. But when it comes to what our life of worship looks like in response to the gospel, there's much dispute. There's much disagreement in ethical matters. If God has saved me, this is how I'm supposed to live. And so there's disagreement in the church. I'm guessing there's disagreement right here in the room about how we're to respond to Jesus and his saving mercy. Am I, am I overestimating that? Or can I just say, yeah, that's here. Disagreement is here. It's there. So what do we do with that? How do we navigate through disagreement over non-gospel issues? Please hear that. Nobody's here fighting about the Trinity. Nobody here is fighting about the authority of Scripture, the deity of Christ, the second coming, the necessity of, of Christ's work on our behalf. No one's fighting about that. No one's having fights about that. No, it's the ethical matters where we often get into disagreement. Non-gospel issues. How do we treat one another in the body of Christ as we discern what God is calling us to do given Scripture and given consciences? Does that make sense? Given certain levels of maturity. Not everybody's at the same place in their walk. Not everybody's in the same place in their journey in Christ. And understanding how to integrate the truth of the gospel into everyday life. How do we navigate through those kind of disputes, disagreements? It's important that we think about this. Much is at stake in our relationships in the body of Christ. Even more so, much is at stake with our witness in the world. When you think about the way disagreements are engaged in society and culture today... And you would think that the church would be a countercultural community that displays the glory and the unity of the one true God. So how do we deal with disagreement in the church? 
Romans 14, 1 through 12. Should be an easy one for us today. Romans 14, 1 through 12. Verse 1. It's for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems a day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself, For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is God's word, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. From the outset, we see uh, two kinds of people here that are being addressed in the Roman church. We see the weak and the strong. Right? Right from the beginning. As for the one who is weak. So in that designation there, he's speaking of weak people and he's addressing how strong people are to respond to them. What does that even mean? I think it's important for us to just think about what what does he mean by weak and strong faith here? One who is weak, the one who is strong. We must take care to clarify exactly what's taking place here. Well, let's just put it out there uh, right in front of you. Most uh, commentators, scholars would see this. In, 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 the, in the larger context of the book of Romans, what's taking place is, is a debate that's going on between Jewish Christians, those who embrace Christ, they were Jewish, those who were Gentile, those who embrace Christ, who were Gentile, did not have the history or the background of the Old Covenant or the law. Okay? So again... Both embrace Christ, now uh, are in the church together. So what's going on? There's a disagreement amongst them about how they're to now live out and integrate their embracing of Christ in the body and how that relates to certain ways of eating, certain things to eat and not to eat, and certain days that they should be celebrating. So let's understand this. They're not debating over Christ in the gospel. They're not. They're not debating over that. Got no issue with the cross, right? They're not debating 
about those things. They both were trusting in and accepting of Christ. They were genuine Christians. So when he talks about strong and weak faith, he's not talking that one of them has an insufficient faith in Christ and the other does not. You understand? You follow me? Good. This is what it is. A different opinion, a different conviction about how to live that out. What should we eat and not eat? The Jewish uh, Christians understanding they're tied to the law, and you can imagine the difficulty of making such a monumental transition with Christ fulfilling the law, now saving them through his finished work in the gospel. The difficulty of moving on from their, their, their whole way of living. And they were convinced, we can't eat this food just in case it's sacrificed to idols. we got to stay away from it. We're going vegetarian just to be safe. And all of you people should too. And oh, by the way, we're going to keep celebrating these special festivals and days uh, because uh, that's only fitting and right, and you should too. And we see that you're not doing it, and we're going we're gonna to condemn you for it. We're going to say you're not living as a Christian. And the strong, uh, the strong, the Gentile Christians are like, guys, it's over, man. It's over. Right? We're, the law's been fulfilled. We don't have to submit to those things anymore. We don't have to do that. Right? We can eat. We can enjoy. We don't have to celebrate those festivals. I mean, you can if you want, but you don't have to. And there was a, uh, a, a condemning of the weak to the strong, and there was a, a despising. They're crazy. And the strong to the weak. And this disagreement would grow into a divisive thing. And it was really a disruption to their relationship, this debate in ethics. These matters weren't small things that didn't carry meaning for them. It began to, def- began to define who they were and separate them out in fellowship and community from the other opinion. So there was disruption, and it was becoming divisive. And so the question becomes, how does Paul address this situation, and how does Paul correct the situation at hand? Well, he says it, right? Verse 1, and for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Welcome him. The strong are to welcome the one who is weak in faith. And at the end of the section, verse 7 of chapter 15, we see that that's not just for the strong to the weak, but really the general atmosphere of the body of Christ was to be one of warmly welcoming one another, even in the midst of disagreement. Verse 7, therefore welcome one another, right, in the body of Christ. Welcoming one another is what Paul says. Treat one another warmly. Treat one another graciously. Even in the midst of disagreements, you're to treat each other this way. Don't be cold. Don't be harsh. Be patient, forbearing, warmly inviting, and graciously accepting of one another, even though you are in sharp contrast in your opinion about this particular secondary issue. But what does it really mean to welcome someone? Well, the definition is simply this, to receive and accept into one's society, home, or circle of acquaintance. It's beyond toleration. Don't just tolerate them. Yeah, they're here. 
It's fine. Well, you sit on the other side of the room. Uh, I guess it's open to everybody. Anybody can come. It's fine. Right? That's tolerating. No, this is, this is about acceptance. This is about a warm accepting, a warm embracing, a pursuing, a treating people like family. Again, family doesn't always bring about the greatest connotations, but in the best sense, as we understand it, warmly welcoming and embracing one another into the intimate fellowship of the people of God. That's what Doug Moo says. So when he says welcome one another, he's saying uh, that treat these fellow Christians as brothers and sisters in the intimate fellowship of the people of God. Family. Right? Don't avoid, don't tolerate, embrace, pursue, welcome, gracious accepting of one another. So the bottom line is this. If you just... If you miss everything else, hear this. Disagreements need not disrupt or divide when we welcome one another in Christ. Disagreements need not disrupt or divide when we welcome one another in Christ. And I know what you're craving right now. Because I'm telling you, in the midst of your disagreements, just warmly welcome one another. Treat each other as family. Have each other over for dinner. Defer to each other. Forbear, be patient. You're going to need rationale for something like that. Right? Especially as hotly uh, as things can get debated and how important your convictions are for you in certain areas. You're going to need foundation. You're going to need rationale for treating people that, that you really want to you know, give the old Maisie boot to in life. This is going to work out nicely the next couple of weeks. We pray not six weeks, just three, three weeks. Why? On what basis? Well, in the gospel, we have good reason to welcome one another even in the midst of disagreement. Let's see. Paul goes on to tell us why. He says, as for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. Not to quarrel over opinions. He goes on, verse 2, verse 3. And then at the end of verse 3, he says, he says this. I'll just read verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. So the first reason that we welcome one another in the midst of disagreement is because this is the very way in which God has treated our fellow brothers and sisters. If God has welcomed them into intimate fellowship, Warmly and graciously, guess what we can do? We can do just that. If God has welcomed them warmly, we too can welcome the brother and sister in Christ warmly. We do this because God has welcomed us all in Christ. And you know the wonderful thing to just remember just for a moment if we can, is that God welcomed us in the midst of our weaknesses, I mean, is that an understatement today? Is that central to the gospel this morning? That not when we were strong did he embrace us. Not that when we figured it all out. When we had absolutely no clue. 1989 in the Carrier Dome had absolutely no idea what it really meant to be a Christian at all. He warmly welcomed us into sweet, intimate fellowship with him through Christ Jesus. 
Is that enough for us? Could we be done with the message now? Why should we welcome one another? For God has welcomed him. It's the way God relates to his people. Warmly, welcoming, receiving, forbearing, patiently. Mike Macy doesn't have a clue what it means to follow me. But I welcome him as my child, my son, in my family. He's got a lot to learn, that Maisie. But he can be with me and enjoy my company anytime. Why do we welcome one another? Because God welcomes us in Christ. The gospel is our motive. God's grace is our motive. You need a motive? There it is. Why should I welcome someone that I want to punch in the face? Because God has warmly welcomed us in Christ. Turns relationships upside down. God's grace in Christ, amen? That's what's so wonderful about this. We don't need another rule. Hey, just do it because Paul said so. Phewy. Do it because it's good. And it makes a lot of sense given all that God has done for us in welcoming us into his family undeservedly and graciously. Amen to that, right? Second reason is because we're all accountable to and sustained by God as his servants, right? There's, it's almost like they're treating each other as, as masters, right? I'm your master. I tell you what to do. You do what I say, buddy. I call the shots around here, and you're going to do what I say. But verse 4 says this. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. He's saying... Don't treat each other like you're masters of one another, right? No, you're fellow servants. Don't be bossing each other around. Again, on non-essential secondary matters. We've got to be very careful here because this verse is a fan favorite of the don't judge me culture. Ooh, who are you to pass judgment on me? Well, you're cheating on your wife, man. See, it's different. It's different. I'm not saying we approach sin with an arrogance and a finger pointing and a bashing. That's not what I'm saying. But we're not talking about black and white, obvious, yeah, don't cheat. If you cheat on your wife, guess what? We're coming to your house and we're knocking on the door. And we're going to say, bro, that's wrong. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Right? If you're gossiping, yeah, we're going to say, hey, bro, that's gossip. Quit it. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Right? That's not a matter of, well, that's not my conscience. No, 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 no. That's objective, revealed scripture. Sin. I'm talking about things where it's not that clear. It's a little ambiguous. Okay? Right? Issues of maturity, issue of understanding and integration. That's what we're talking about. So please don't use this to say, don't judge me. See, I told you, don't tell me what to do. That's not what he's talking about. Right? The issue at hand here is not related to that. So don't read that into this. These are secondary issues that we should not be just telling everybody what to do all the time in areas of ambiguity and non-essential matters. That's just not how we should be treating each other. That's the Lord's job, right? He's our master. He is Lord. He calls the shots. His word and his spirit will guide us sufficiently. 
We don't need another master, do we? The Lord does a fine job at that. And he does a fine job. And I love this, right? Because it's so easy for us in the body of Christ to undercut the very activity of God in somebody else's life. It's so easy for us to to point the finger and to condemn and try to take them out at the knees and to cause them to fall in the presence of a holy God. See, look at them. They're not faithful. They're sinning. They are condemned. When at the same time you're doing that, it is the Lord God of heaven who is sustaining that person, literally holding them up. You're working against God, right? Really, you should be partnering with God in how you relate to one another. Not trying to undercut them and cause them to fall before their master, but but encourage them and build them up and support them with your words and your actions and your time and your money. That we should join in the work of God to hold people. And really, when you read that, that God is indeed uh, upholding his people, giving the power and the strength that is necessary to stand. We should say, Lord, I'm your instrument toward that end. God uses people to strengthen people, right? He uses his spirit, but his spirit-empowered, word-proclaiming people is who he uses that encourage and build up. So don't, don't take somebody out at the knees over disagreements. Come alongside them. You don't want to eat? Okay, don't eat. Praise be to God. I'm going to eat. Okay, praise be to God. It's, we are the servants of God. We're accountable to God and sustained by God as his servants. Third reason. We all belong to the Lord And live our life, our decisions, relationships, motives, actions. We live for his honor. I love what we see taking place here. Verses 5 through 9, he's saying, listen. He sums it up. He's like, listen, whatever we're doing, whether we're eating or abstaining, these not essential issues, not like, well, you cheat on your wife and I don't cheat on my wife. No, 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 that's not what it's talking about. One eats, one doesn't eat. One feels a conviction about this, one doesn't. Non-essential, little ambiguous issues, right? One person's more mature, they've integrated the gospel to a certain extent that this is how they live. Other people, less mature. They just haven't thought through it to that degree yet. And so we're patient, we welcome, we wait, we pray. But here's the wonderful thing. Everyone's doing it for Jesus, Again, I think Paul's assuming the best here. Some people aren't doing it for Jesus. But he's assuming the best in the church in Rome. We should assume the best. Isn't that like even a little mini lesson right there? Assuming the best as we witness other people's lives. Isn't that grace? Not assuming the worst, but assuming the best in other. Other people's motives, other people's tones and words. That'll go a long way in sustaining a unified community here at Renovation Church. Assuming the best. Listen, here's the deal. I'm going to assume the best. This dude's eating and celebrating days all what? For the, in honor of the Lord and to thank the Lord. And this dude just had a T-bone and he slept in on Yom Kippur. And he's doing that for Jesus too. 
Guess what? Everyone is living as the Lord's unto the Lord's honor and glory and praise. Can we just say that? Are we okay with a little, little flexibility in the church on some of these issues? Right? I'm about as, I'm a stiff, okay? Like, we need to be more flexible on some of these non-essential issues. Again, not to say that these things don't matter, but assuming the best, patiently waiting, praying for someone's maturity. That's what welcoming them is. Because we're all the Lord's. And everything we do is in honor of the Lord. Does that make sense? None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. No, no, no. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again. See, that's why he came and died. To be Lord. Is he the Lord of your life? Are you listening and seeking him? You're reading his word, and he's impressing upon you by his spirit. This is what the Lord is calling me to do in response to this. Listen, a brother or sister may go, hey, the scripture says you can't steal, brother, so you can't go take that. Fine. Let the scriptures be authoritative. Some say, you know, I'm not supposed to eat that. Okay. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless you. May all thanks and glory be unto God for that. Are we okay with that? Chill out a little bit. Welcome each other. Because the Lord is, well, Jesus is indeed Lord. And we submit to him. And that's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he died. And that's why he lived again. So that he might be Lord of our lives. Some of us want to be our own lords. We want to call the shots. We want our own ethical standards. We want to ignore scripture. We want to apply this one, ignore that one. Right? We want to be Lord. Everybody wants to be in charge of their own. Nobody wants a judge or an authority. Jesus came, he died, and he lived again to be your Lord. Be your Lord. Right? To, 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 to call the shots. Right? To, to, to instruct you how to live in a way that brings him the greatest amount of honor and glory. Do you recognize that today? Are you just here on Sunday morning to check a box? Or are you here because it's the Lord? Here to celebrate your Lord who's lived and died again. I'm sorry, died and lived again. He will not die again. Someone shout Romans back at me. And last, we welcome one another because we'll all stand before God on the last day. We don't think about this at all. Right? We're so in the moment. I'm worried about lunch right now. You worried about lunch? You're holding your kid like, how am I going to get through this sermon? What does this mean? You're worried about the moment. My wife was reading a book last night. Do you know what the average adult attention span is now? Somebody said seven. Isn't it five now? Five minutes. Five minutes. Ten years ago, it was ten minutes. We attention on one thing, and it's the now, the moment, right? Eternity. You aware of the fact that every 
man, woman, and child throughout all of history will stand before God the judge one day. That's what he says. This is why we welcome one another. We don't need judgment days along the way. We don't need that. There's a judgment day that we do need to heed and pay attention to. And that's for me and that's for all of us here. Universal reality. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. That should be motive enough to, 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 to inspire a different way of relating in the body of Christ. And the wonderful thing is we will be welcomed on that day. So why not welcome us each other now? Why don't we not allow the, the, the great welcoming of God, of the church into eternity in heaven, dictate the way that we relate today? Does that have any influence on our relationships now? The way life will be then. I don't know if I'm, if I'm affected enough by eternity. I'm almost 40, so a little bit more. Every day. I'm wearing a boot, dude. I'm wearing a boot. Eternity matters now. <laughs> it's real. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or, or you, why do you despise your brother? We'll all stand before the judgment seat of God. As I live, says the Lord, with that kind of certainty, with that kind of assurance, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That's why. We warmly welcome. And the way we relate now matters for eternity. Do you think of that? You just think about who's buying me lunch. That's my life. Who's buying me lunch? Joe Crab Monday, Paul Daly Tuesday. <laughs> so fixed on the moment. Lincoln Duncan says, The final judgment is a significant factor in our present Christian living. And it has to be a significant part of our thinking and in our behavior. It's motive. God welcomes us, right? God rules over us as Lord. God's returning one day and we'll stand before him. Really, if you just take a step back and think about why would we relate to each other this way? It's really why do we do anything, church? Why do we do anything? Because of God. Why do you work, God? Why are you married, God? Why do you have a mouth, God? Why do you speak, God? Why do you walk, God? Right? Why do you root for the Steelers, God? Why, why do you do anything? Whether we live or whether we die, we do so to the Lord. And I wonder if we could catch a vision for that. Because I think really that's what Paul's getting at here in really 12 through 16. Book of Romans. I think, I think this is a big one. It's been a big one for me. I'm going to confess a lot of weakness here. A lot of self-frustration. A lot of conviction here. In my own heart, my own story of late. A struggle of mine. Something I want really bad that I, that's not coming easy. Right? That God's nature... God's will, God's plan, God's story guides everything about me. That every relationship, that everyone walks away from an encounter with Mike Mazie and says, that's what God's like. 
that my wife lays in bed at night and she says, he showed me more of what Christ is like today. I, I was able to interact with God-like attributes. If I were to trace the storyline of the day, it was, this was the gospel. My kids lay in bed at night. I pray, they go, man, the scriptures are sufficient, but man, my dad really lived it out. He showed me what God was like. That my neighbors, they go, I get a picture of, if there's a God, I get a picture of what God would be like when I'm with him. That the direction and vision of our family, that the goals that we set, that the words that we speak, the tones, the atmosphere, it's just God all over the place. Why do we do anything? God. Right? God's nature. God's will. God's destiny that he's bringing us to. God's story just permeates and saturates everything about me. The truth is I really struggle with this. Sometimes I give him anything but Jesus. Sometimes I treat him so contradictory to the nature of God. It, my life is oftentimes incongruent with who God is. And oh, how I long for something so different. I bang my head against the wall. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why am I so angry? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. It's not who I am. And this surely isn't who God is. Paul's telling the Roman Christian, here's why you should welcome one another. Because of God. Why anything, Church of Rome? Because of God and the gospel and Christ and the cross and his grace and his mercy and his love and his story and the eternity that he's bringing about and the purposes that he has. That's why. Why anything in your life? Because of God. It's all about God. Is that you? Is it Sunday morning, Wednesday night, little prayer in the morning? Me. Half the fights we have are desires, right? This is the wages that we have because we all have competing desires. Well, imagine if our desires matched up. All of us here want to know God and share in godliness and give each other God's grace and live out the story of the, of the gospel more than we want the, the temporal thing on our mind. Imagine what would happen to a family, to a marriage, to a church, to a geography. If God's people said, I'm more passionate and desirous of his nature and his plan and his gospel than I am for the little thing in this moment that I desire that's driving a wedge between us. That's the vision we need in our relationships. The nature of God. So much more in the Christian life than some niceties on Sunday. Life transforming the gospel is Romans 12 through 16. We don't get off easy with, yeah, I believe that about Romans 1 through 11. Yep, that's good. Next. No, it radically transforms everything about us or it is not true. So in disagreements, may God's grace be your motive. May God's word be your authority. May God's spirit be your guide. May God's nature be your vision. So when it comes to music, I don't want to tell you. Don't be an idiot. I don't know. What movies you want to watch or not watch? No black and white answer. What kind of extracurricular activities you should engage in? To what extent? 
Don't got it for you. What version of the Bible should you read? I don't know what to say. Yes, you. I would say, can I dance or play cards? In my house, you can. I, how should I worship in church? You can lift your hands. Do it. You want to lift your hands? Dance, clap. You want to give the CNY nod? Go for it. I, I, I got nothing for you objectively. Can you have a glass of wine with your T-bone steak? Can you have a beer after you mow the lawn? No clear-cut answer. Who should I vote for? What party? Sorry. No black and white answers on those. Here's what I do know. We're not going to die for any of those answers. Paul Daly's little help Friday night. Referring to Mark Driscoll's circles that I couldn't find online, but I'm going to refer to them anyway. Via Paul Daly. We're not going to die for any of those things. And we're not going to divide over them either. Right? We're not going to do that. We can discuss them. We can debate them warmly, graciously, patiently. And then everybody's going to have to just make a decision that honors the Lord, worships Him, and maintains intimate fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Disagreements need not disrupt or divide when we welcome one another in Christ. Thanks for your patience today. Let's pray. Father, we simply pray for unity by your spirit, humility by your spirit. We pray that this church, this congregation, all the people here would have a vision for your nature in all they say and do in every relationship they have. Change our affections. Change what we love. We're driven by desire. Pray you change our desires. We want that more than we want to be right. Or we pray against the work of the enemy to disrupt and divide, cause problems in our midst. We pray that the Spirit of God would bring about a unity that only he can. And may we all humbly submit to it and joyfully, joyfully walk in it. Oh God, if there's somebody here today who doesn't know the saving love of Christ, I pray that they would have heard it today in some way and that they would know the joy of being welcomed by God in Christ. Forgiven of all their sins, adopted into the family, filled with the Spirit, and given a great purpose to live as they wait for eternity. Give us all that vision today. May we sing of this. Christ's name. Amen.